Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Last week we were looking at Revelation chapter 21, and today we'll look at chapter 22. We 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 skipped for those of you who are just joining us.、Uh, we skipped all the chapters from 16 to 20,、uh, from 6 to 20. Sorry, and、uh, you know I put it out there to see what people thought, and the majority of people thought that it's good to get the whole picture by going to the end of the book. Also, as I spoke with Master, Pastor Murray, he thought it's good to keep the context so that when we do go through、uh, the difficult chapters, we will have the, the big picture in mind and we'll understand how this all finishes and that ultimately it is all good news, despite the fact that we are going to be、uh, treading through some very, very difficult waters in those in between chapters. So let's get into Revelation chapter 22. We'll open with a word of prayer and then get right into the study、uh, for this evening. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We praise you, Lord. We praise Jesus Christ. We thank you. We thank Jesus Christ. And Father, we're just so grateful that we can study these precious words, this, this ancient text, thousands of years old.、Uh, here we are, uh, 2017, uh, studying this word. And, and we know, Father, that it is going to bolster us and strengthen us、uh, for the years ahead. So we thank you. We pray, God, that you would give us understanding. And that you would、uh, deepen our conviction and, and just help us to have patience and faith so that when Jesus Christ comes, he finds a people who are prepared for him. We thank you, Father. We ask this blessing now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So let us、uh, get right into the study. And、uh, last time 
when we met, we looked at chapter 21, and I just want to just go back to how that chapter began, where John saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And then we went through the chapter and also saw the new temple uh, and, and God bringing his throne, uh, sorry, the new Jerusalem, and God bringing his throne down from heaven. But just before we get into that, last week uh, I saw, I came across a, a post of the Pope speaking to astronauts from, from as they were in the space station out in space. And I thought some of their comments were interesting as we go through this uh, chapter 22. So I just want to play that and ask you to, uh, to take a listen. Loud and clear. Very good, thank you. I now hand over to Pope Francis. Good morning, you all. Sua Santità, buongiorno, benvenuto sulla Stazione Spaziale Internazionale. Qual è il suo pensiero sul posto dell'uomo nell'universo? Santo Padre, questa è una domanda complessa. Penso che, penso che il, nostro, il nostro obiettivo qua è quello di conoscere la nostra... La nost il nostro essere è, è quello per riempire la conoscenza, capire quello che ci sta attorno e tra l'altro è una cosa interessante perché con più conosciamo, con più ci rendiamo conto di conoscere poco. Che cosa maggiormente vi dà gioia nel tempo che passate nella stazione spaziale? Uh, in my personal opinion, what gives me the greatest joy every day is being able to look outside and see God's creation, uh, maybe a little bit from, from his, per his perspective. As we see that the peace and serenity of our planet as it goes around at 10 kilometers a second, and there's no borders, there is no conflict, it's just peaceful. And you see the thinness of the atmosphere, it makes you realize how fragile our existence here is. So, very fascinating. I thought it was quite interesting, those comments. Uh, first of all, I think what really struck me was, you know, looking at the Earth from God's perspective. And, and actually, from the space station is not God's perspective. God's perspective is what we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 22 and what we saw last week in Revelation 21. So as we look through these two final chapters, we get God's perspective. And we don't have to be out at a space station to get God's perspective. Also, I think the deception that, you know, he's looking at Earth and he sees just how peaceful it is. This is going 36,000 kilometers an hour. He said 10 uh, kilometers a second, 36,000 kilometers per hour. It's, it's hurtling through the, through the universe, through the atmosphere, through the uh, solar system. And to him, it's just so peaceful. Well, it's not. It's completely chaotic. Uh, the universe is at peace, but the Earth is in chaos. And, and we need God's perspective to see how peace will eventually come to the earth. And in fact, God himself is going to come through the earth. And I think it was quite humble of one of the astronauts there to say, you know, wow, the more we know, the more we realize how little we know. And that is so true, that what's going on here on earth, uh, we, through the scriptures, we have a glimpse as to what God is doing. But mankind in general has no idea. And it's funny, you know, he's talking to the Pope, Pope Francis, when it was, you know, the, the Catholic Church that persecuted Galileo and persecuted Copernicus as they started to study the solar system and realized that the Earth is not in the center of the solar system. And it's certainly not in the center of the universe. And yet we know the Earth has this central role 
and and Moses said that from the beginning. In the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth, indicating to us that there's something very central about the role of the earth, and we get to understand it now, understanding God's perspective as we look through the scripture. So here John sees a complete reconfiguration of the universe. It's a new heaven and a new earth, and the earth will be the center of the universe. It's not now, but the intention is that it will be the center of the universe, and God himself will be here on this planet. He says the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. So that was chapter 21, which we did last week. We'll come now to chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life. So there was was life in this water, this pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. So, so on both sides, and it sounds like there are actually multiple trees, lots of trees on both sides of, of the river, which bear twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. So this, the, the, this tree of life was just very fruitful, and every month it had different fruit. And the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. So not only did this tree give life, it also brought healing. Now, let's compare that to the beginning of the Bible. When we go to Genesis, what we see here is out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here we have these two trees, or or multiple trees, but the two trees that are in focus are the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we come to the end of the book, uh, we we will see when we get to Revelation 20 that Satan, the deceiver, is going to be released. It's necessary for him to be released. But once his work is over, he's destroyed, he's removed, and now the tree of life is all that's here in the garden. There is no more this tree of deception, no more this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it, it has, it's all done now. Whoever wants to choose and eat from that tree has done that. And those of us who want to choose and eat from the tree of life, we've done that. And so now all that remains are those who want to be true, those who want to be faithful, and those who want to eat from the tree of life. Now, notice also that in the Garden of Eden with Adam, Not only was there the tree of life, but in verse 10, we also see this river of life. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. So in the same way we see in Revelation, there's a river feeding the the garden or or supporting the tree of life. Here in the original garden of Eden, or I shouldn't say original because there was one before this in in heaven. But here in the garden of Eden uh, for Adam, there is this water of life feeding the tree of life. And from there, it was parted and became in, and uh, became into four heads. Now, notice in verse 16 of chapter 2 in Genesis, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So again, as we look at Revelation 22, and the tree of life is there, and, and for those of us that are there, we will freely eat from this tree of life. This has always been God's intention, to bless mankind with his bounty, freely, generously. 
Here he told Adam, the one tree he must not eat from is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and all of us have to make this choice that we will, we will obey God and we will, we will shun evil. We will not eat from the tree of evil. Now, notice now he, he could freely eat from the tree of life until he chose from the tree of deception. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so now you know, these cherubim were put to guard uh, the entrance to the Garden of Eden and, and by all means, by any means necessary, ensure that Adam did not eat from the tree of life after he had defied God and eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this tree of life truly is the source of eternal life. And, and God wants us to eat from this freely. He wanted Adam to eat from it freely. He wanted to fellowship with Adam forever. Uh, but Adam chose to defy God, and therefore he had no more access to this tree of life. But now we fast forward and go through all the pain, sorrow, and heartache, and tears. We come to the end, and mankind is now eating freely from the tree of life. Mankind is, is living forever, eternally, with God on earth as it was intended from the very beginning. And now notice Ezekiel also saw this tree of life, that in the vision that he had, he could also see this river and the tree of life that was available to man. In Ezekiel 47, verse 12, Ezekiel writes, And by the river upon the bank thereof, on this side and on this side, shall grow all trees for meat. So he, he's seeing this Garden of Eden image that John now sees and that we're now reading, Ezekiel saw it as well. On this side and on that shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to its month. So every month, as John saw, every month it's bringing forth different fruit. And the fruit is uh, the source of eternal life. Because of their waters they issued out of the sanctuary. And the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. So John said that, yeah, this tree, uh, it has fruit every month, but it's also the healing of the nations. And Ezekiel saying the same thing. I saw this river. I saw the trees of tree of life on both sides of the river. It, it had different fruit every month, and it had healing. It, it was medicine. The leaf thereof was for medicine. Go back to uh, John's vision in Revelation 22. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And notice this, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their forehead. So we're going to marry Christ and we're going to carry his name, but notice his name shall be in our foreheads. Now this is, just as we saw last week, there was the beautiful bride prepared for her husband, but there was also, and, and the same language the angel used, come and see and I'll show you the bride. He also used that same language, come and see and I'll show you the harlot that sits, that rides the beast. And so there's this contrast between the faithful bride and the harlot. Well here, he says that our, his name will be in our foreheads. But notice in Revelation 13, and we'll, we'll get to Revelation 13 uh, as we go through the book uh, methodically and sequentially. But here he says he causes all, this is the beast, 
both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. So when Satan says, I will be like the Most High, he really is counterfeiting as much as he knows of what God is doing and God's plan. And he wants to control man and, and our will, our will is really in our forehead. You know, this is this is really the seat of where we we focus, how we formulate the prefrontal cortex. This is where we formulate our will. This is where we decide what we're going to do. And to have God's name written here is to say we are in full compliance with God's. God's will is our will. We have we have chosen his will. Of our free will, we have chosen to do his will. Whereas if for those who accept the mark of the beast in their forehead and in their right hand, what they're saying is they have formulated their will to be in conformance or in compliance with the Satan. And, and the works of their hands will be in compliance with the devil. So this, this um, issue around uh, the, the, the name that's written on our forehead really demonstrates who we are serving and who we have set our will to serve and to do the work of. Now, it said here in Revelation 22, verse 4, that they shall see his face. Now, Adam and Eve, they saw God's face. They, they were there in the garden, and they talked with God face to face. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So the fact that God is on earth, this is not new. This sort of Greco, uh, platonic concept of God being this sort of nebulous being who's, who's just in the heavens and, and has nothing to do with material, the material world. Complete nonsense. Complete nonsense. God has everything to do with the material world. Uh, so much so that he, he was on earth. He created the earth. He formed man out of the dust of the earth. That means he was here. And he formulated man with his own hands. And he landscaped the Garden of Eden with his own hands. And, and here he talked with Adam and Eve face to face. But after they sinned, Adam and, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, as a result of that, we see here in Exodus 33, he said, You cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So prior to, to sin... Man could actually engage with God face to face. When, when sin is all over, when it's all complete and destroyed, we will again engage with God face to face. But as a result of Adam's sin, man cannot live and see God. But notice the prophecy in Psalm 17 verse 15, where King David said, As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. So David understood that he will see God. I will behold your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. Wow. These prophets, these, these ancient prophets, they understood. And David understood, as Job understood, as, as Ezekiel, as Isaiah, uh, as Zechariah, as Micah, Amos, all of these men understood the plan of God. And, and the plan of God for Israel and ultimately all mankind. But here David is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to awake, I'm going to be resurrected, and I'm going to be in your likeness. So man was created in God's image, but we're also going to be in his likeness. And when we are, we're going to see him face to face, and we're going to be like him. And that's what David is saying. Back to uh, John's vision. 
adds, there will be no night. So right now we have that, the, you know, when, when God created the, the, the heavens and the earth, and it says that the evening and the morning were the first day. So, so uh, every day we plunge into darkness, and then the light eliminates the darkness. And that itself is a prophecy, that mankind will be plunged into darkness, but the light will come and replace that darkness, eliminate that darkness, and here it is. This is the elimination of the darkness. Now, when God comes, there'll no longer be night, and they need no candle. So all these lights that we have to turn things off so we can see, there's going to be no night, we'll have no need for lights. Neither light of the sun, even the light of the sun, we will not need. And we know just how dependent we are upon the sun. So we, we really highly depend on the light of the sun, the heat of the sun. It really, the whole ecosystem depends upon the sun. Our, our planet, uh, you know, when they were looking at the Earth's atmosphere from space, they just saw how fragile life is on Earth. And, and it's just so dependent, it has to be the perfect distance from the sun to get the heat and the nutrition that the, of the photosynthesis from the sun is not necessary anymore. That's all gone. That's, that's the old, that's the old uh, um, configuration uh, of the planet and the universe. Neither light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So we had as our theme at the Festival of uh, Tabernacles this year, a celebration of kings and priests. And we often think about this uh, notion of being a king and being a priest. We think about this in, in terms of the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the millennium, that we're going to reign with Christ for a thousand years. But the scripture is telling us here that it's not just a thousand years. That the idea was that we, when, when God created Adam, he created him as a king, and he created him to have eternal life. Therefore, he was created to reign as a king with his wife Eve forever. And unfortunately, that whole thing went sideways, and he failed. And the second Adam has come to rescue the woman and to give us eternal life. But our kingship, what, what it is that we were celebrating at the feast this year, this focus on being kings and priests, it is not just a temporary state. It is something that God wants us to have forever. We're going to reign with him forever. So he says here, the Lord God will give us light and we shall reign forever and ever. So there, there's a great design, a great plan that God has that's going to emanate from the earth. The earth is going to be central in this new world, this new universe and it's all, it's all going to be focused and headquartered here on earth, and we will reign with him forever and ever. Now, this vision that John has of no need, no need for any kind of light, because God will give us light, Isaiah saw this. Listen to what Isaiah says. The sun, speaking to Israel, the sun shall be no more your light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon Give light unto you, but the Lord shall be unto you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. This is, you know, all these prophets who pronounce great judgment on Israel, they come back immediately and, and, and they, they foresee this time in Israel's future when they're going to be the glory of God. Your sun shall no more go down, neither shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be your everlasting light, 
and the days of your mourning shall be ended. As I said, there's always these uh, prophecies of condemnation on Israel. But immediately following these prophecies of condemnation, we have these prophecies of great glory for Israel. So we have to understand this plan. And that's what, again, when we gather at the Feast of Tabernacles and we, we look at the Holy Day plan of God, we get to understand what God is doing. That there's a beginning and that there's an end. And that the end of this whole process is actually the beginning of something brand new. Something that God had in mind from the very beginning. So here, this is what, uh, what Isaiah saw. Zechariah, same thing. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. Not day, nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. So all these prophets could see this. And John, you know, a lot of people think Revelation is just sort of this brand new vision, uh, this apocalyptic vision that John had, and it's not rooted in anything. It is absolutely rooted in the previous prophecies. It is absolutely rooted in the story, the narrative of Israel. And so we cannot understand this book if we don't understand the previous prophets. Because it's the same God that has been informing all these prophets all the way along. And now what John is doing is just sort of seeing it in, in chronological order how everything that all these prophets have spoken, how it all comes together. Back to his uh, vision in, in verse 6. And he said to me, these sayings are faithful and true. Let's, let's just, let's just start re repeat that. These sayings are faithful and true. God is faithful and true. These sayings are faithful and true. So this is not some sort of made-up, fanciful, wishful thinking. This is the will of God. These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must be shortly, done, shortly be done. So again, this is not new. This is the same God of all the holy prophets. And now he's, this, this same God is sending this message to John by his angels so that we, his servants, can understand the things which must be shortly done. And this language, shortly done, uh, shortly be done, uh, it's like these things which are necessary, these things which are necessary to become, to unfold, so that we can understand the things that are necessary to unfold, to come into being. And that's what we're understanding with this, these final two chapters of Revelation, the things that must come into being. And that language is the exact same language here at the end of the book that we saw at the beginning of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass, the things that are necessary to come into being. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And I did make a, a big... Um, point there that this message is signified it is wrapped up in symbols and we have to be careful as we go through the book to to make sure that we understand that most of it is symbolic some of it is literal but most of it is symbolic and where people get into trouble is they try to read everything literally and 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 much of it is symbolic but it, it's, it's from the very beginning the whole point is to give to his servants this information so that we can know ahead of time these things that are necessary to unfold. Back to Revelation 22. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of 
the book of the prophecy of this book. So we who are, you know, and there's a blessing that we read at the very beginning, that, that we're blessed if we read this book, the, the one who reads it. So I'm claiming a blessing by reading this book and the one who hears it. Now you claim a blessing by hearing it, but it's not just the reading and hearing, it's the doing. So we're reading and hearing so that we can focus on what is it that we must do? What, what are the instructions that we must follow? That's where the blessing is. So he says he's coming quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. So at the beginning, he was told to write the things which he has seen and to write the things which he has heard. And now he's telling us, these are the things that I saw. And these are the things that I heard. And these are the things that I've written down. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. These, these things were just so profound. You know, uh, the common vernacular, we might say, this blew John's mind. You know, this blew his mind. And so he, he was so overwhelmed by the things that he was privy to see and to hear that he just fell down to worship this, this being that had this knowledge, that shared this knowledge with him. So he fell down to worship this being. And then the angel said to me, See that you don't do this, for I'm your fellow servant, and I'm the fellow servant of your brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. So that would be us as well, and all the saints through time who have read this book and have been faithful to its instructions, as well as the prophets. So he's just saying, look, I'm just a servant like you guys. Instead, worship God. Now notice this is very important that the instruction is to worship God. Don't fall down on your, your, to worship me. You make sure you worship God. And that's exactly what happened earlier. And we'll see this when we get to Revelation 19. He said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These sayings, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See you do it not. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, worship God, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Same thing happened when Peter, uh, as an apostle of God, met Cornelius. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. He was just so overwhelmed by this knowledge that Peter had to share with him that he wanted to worship Peter. But Peter took him up saying, stand up. Don't do that. See that you do it not. I myself also am a man. Now, compare and contrast. Compare and contrast the angel and Peter and others who are really particular to say, do not break God's commandments and do not worship me an angel or do not worship me a man. Now, compare and contrast when Christ came into the earth and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They knew exactly who he was. And they fell down and they worshipped him as a baby. They acknowledged that this is the creator. This is the God of the universe who has come to visit man on earth. As, as the earth is central and man is central to his whole design. And so they understood the Messiah is coming. 
and here he is. And so they fell down and worshipped him, and nobody forbade them. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him this great king gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, at the end of his life. And Thomas answered and said unto him, well, this is after his resurrection, my Lord and my God. And Christ didn't say, see that you do it not, don't, you know, just worship God, don't do He accepted worship. He accepted being called Curious, the God of the Old Testament. He accepted being called uh, um, Thomas's God. Back to 22. And he said to me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So the whole point is, these prophecies must be known. They must be known by God's servants, not so that we have head knowledge and we can run around and say we know things and oh, this is what this means. And when you see the sign in the sky like this, it means this and we can just have a nice good ego trip. These prophecies must be known because there are things that we must do. There are instructions that are in this prophecy that we have to know, oh, this is happening. Therefore, we have to do this. God wants his will done in the earth, and that's what we pray, that God's will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. And so we need to understand what that will is so that we can do it. So he says, do not seal the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. This is it. My servants must know what's, what's going to happen. Now contrast that or compare that with Daniel when he received revelation. In the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true, Therefore, shut you up the vision, for it shall be for many days. It's a long way off, Daniel, and, and nobody needs to understand what I've given you to understand. Seal it up. It's a long way off. And here in chapter 12, verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased." And so there's no, this knowledge of, of revelation and, and eschatology, the end time that Daniel was given, it wasn't necessary for anybody else to know. And so he's told to seal it up until the end. And now John is given this revelation, very, very similar knowledge to what Daniel, in fact, even more comprehensive knowledge than what was given to Daniel. And he's told, do not seal it because the time is at hand. So make sure that it's, it's clear to God's servants. <clears throat> and here again in verse uh, 9 of 12, and he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. And so I think all of us are pretty clear this is the time of the end. We don't know exactly how long. We know that when God says the time is short, that is from God's perspective, the perspective of eternity, and what he's doing now, and everything is in place. So, so there's just these final few things that have to happen. So the time is short. But from a human perspective, you know, a year, can, in fact, 10 seconds can feel like forever if you're in pain. Uh, so from the human perspective, a year, 10 years, 30 years, this can seem like a long time. To God, this is nothing. And so we have to be understanding that the time is at hand. These things are going to happen very quickly. But at the same time, we have to be prepared to be patient and to endure to the end, and to make sure that we understand all these things that have to happen. And in other words, it's going to get bad, then it's going to get really bad, and then it's going to get even worse before it gets better. And for people who don't understand these things, they're going to run out of patience. 
It's going to get bad. They're going to panic. It's going to get really bad. They're going to freak out. A lot of them are going to just give up. But when it's getting really bad, we're looking at the prophecies and we're saying, yeah, checking our prophecy watch and saying, oh, that's right on time. Yeah, we were expecting that. Okay, we're just expecting two or three more things. Oh, here they come now. And so no matter how bad it gets, here we are, solid as a rock, solid as a rock, and faithful to the end. So this is what this is the mindset that we have to have. So in all of this now, he says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. So, so you know, the scripture says wicked men and evil men are going to wax worse and worse. And they're going to be deceived, deceiving others and just deceiving themselves. So they themselves are deceived and they're deceiving others. And they're just going to get worse and worse. And it's like Christ says, by their fruit, you shall know them. And yet they're going to be involved in all of this evil murder, uh, sexual immorality, deception, every evil thing, uh, blasphemy, every evil thing. And they're going to be justifying it. They're going to be saying this, this is the right way to be. In fact, they're going to be uh, arguing as well. Many are going to be arguing, you know, I was born this way. This, this is God's fault. Uh, God made me this way. Well, you know what the scripture says? He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. So that's up to us. Whether we want to stay in the state that we're in, or whether we know that God is coming and we need to purify ourselves. We need to purify ourselves to prepare to meet God. This is what God wants from us. So, so we're going to be surrounded by wicked men, waxing worse and worse. And we have to be in this category. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. So, you know, you just get this impression that God is saying, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. And here's the tree of life. And here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And people have a desire for the fruit. Uh, let them have what they want. So those who want life, eternal life with me, let them have that and let them continue in that way. And those who want to be wicked, oh well. Even so, amen. Oh well. Oh well. And now this sort of resignation to say, well, it is what it is. Again, Ezekiel saw this. But when I spoke, speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, he that hears, let him hear. So he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that forbears, oh well, let him forbear. For they are a rebellious house. So this is the house of Israel and, and God is driving them to repentance. And some are going to hear and some are going to repent. That's wonderful. That's what we want. But others are just going to harden. Oh well, oh well. And here again in Daniel, we see Daniel saying the same thing. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked will do wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. So we're going into this time in the future where we're going to see this very clear separation that as wicked and perverse as this society is, as wicked and perverse as this society is becoming, this is uh, Sodom and Gomorrah on steroids, that in the midst of all of this, there's going to be a people prepared to meet their God. There's going to be a people who have wisdom. There's going to be a people striving for purity. And, and the wicked are, are going to have no clue. And when Christ returns 
and, and this army of saints is ready to meet him from the graves, but also there's going to be some of us who are going to live over, they're going to be stunned. Like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? Well, it's happening now. And we need to make sure we're in the right camp and we, we are very clear about what God is doing. Back to Revelation 22 with John's vision. Uh, Christ says, and behold, I come quickly. So from God's perspective, this is all going to happen very quickly. From our perspective, it seems we're going to be saying, my Lord delays his coming. It's like, wow, he's not coming yet. He's, our patience is going to be tested. But from God's perspective, this is right around the corner. Behold, I come quickly. And notice this, my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So this is very important to God that, that we have works, that we are purifying ourselves and we have works. And he's going to give to everyone according as our works shall be. I want to spend a bit of time to show how important this is to God, that we have works and that we're supporting people who are doing the work of God, that he's evaluating not only our character, but also our works. So he's going to give to every man. He has a reward. He's going to give to every man according as his work shall be. In Jeremiah, he says this, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. This is the God of the Bible. We don't earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God, but there is a reward. When we cross, so we cross the finish line, that's by God's grace, but there is a reward for the work that we've done while we were in the race. And this is very, very clear. So he says it in Revelation at the end of the book. He says it here through Jeremiah. Notice here in Romans, who will render to every man, to every man according to his deeds. So our works matter. Notice in 1 Peter 1, and if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judging judges according to every man's work. So if you do that, if we call on the Father, who, who we know is going to judge according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Get busy. Act like you really believe you're going to see God face to face. And he's going to evaluate us for our works. We should be productive Christians. Here in Psalms, David says, Also unto you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to every man according to his work. Are we getting the point? Do we see how important this is to God that we have work? Behold, in Isaiah, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. So yes, salvation is a free gift, but there's a reward and his work before him. And so the work, it, you know, if we put two and two together, the reward, according to our works, it appears is going to be more work. That at the end of time, when all of this is over, I shouldn't say at the end of time, but at the end of this age, when all of this is over, and there's a new heavens and a new earth, and we have God's name in our forehead, and we are now married to Christ, the reward is more work. Because you did this work, now you can do this work. Because you were faithful in this office, now you can have this office. So there's, there's a great work in front of God. And how we work now is going to influence how God chooses the work that we will do with him 
going forward. Again in Isaiah, he says in 62.11, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say you to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. So again, Isaiah says it again. Salvation is coming, but a reward is coming. And there's a great work in front of God, and that's very tightly connected to this reward. We come back to Revelation in chapter 2, when we read the epistles to the, to the churches. Um, God saying here that he will uh, kill her children with death. And all the churches, every congregation, will know that I am he, as we saw in Jeremiah, that searches the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So there is no denying, I, I hope it is impossible now for us to say works don't matter. We can just sort of sit back and as long as we declare Christ, we have nothing to do. Christ has done it all for us and we're just going to you know, go to heaven and float around. We need to be productive, developing uh, spiritual muscle through work. And as we work and bear fruit, God is going to give us the opportunity to do more work and bear more fruit. And so our works are being evaluated and our works are going to be uh, deeply scrutinized. And then that's going to determine where God places us in this future configuration. Back to Revelation 22. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. And we understand this through the annual holy days. So, you know, this evening and morning are the first day. These moons and the sun. So the sun gives us the days, the moon gives us the months. And we're able to use this, this calculator, this calendar in the sky to figure out these, these divine appointments. And from Passover straight through to the last great day, all of these divine appointments. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about, please go to CGI.org. In the search bar, just type God's Holy Days and, and take advantage of the resources that are there. They're there for free and understand these holy days that God does not change and they are right through from the beginning in Genesis we see them in, in Genesis uh, 1 they are, the, God shares with us that the, the sun and the moon are put in the, in the sky as a calendar so that we can know that, that the assigned appointments the divine appointments with God and they come right through to the end until God himself comes to earth and then there, there's no more sun, no more moon, no more need for this unfolding of God's plan because now we've come to the end. God's plan is complete. We have no longer any need for the sun and moon to give us these divine appointments. Now God is here. And so he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And notice this is Jesus Christ speaking. Blessed are they that do his commandments. Now, when we hear that, blessed are they that do his commandments, generally speaking, we're thinking of the Ten Commandments. But I think we really have missed the point if we just think of the Ten Commandments. Remember, these, this whole apocalypsis is being revealed to us so that we can do the things that we're commanded to do in the apocalypsis. 
So his commandments go beyond just the Ten Commandments. His commandments are any instructions that he gives us in his word. So we have to search the word to see what is it, what is God's will? What is it that God wants us to do? So if we do his commandments, we will have right to the tree of life. And we may enter in through the gates into the city. In other words, if we don't do his commandments, we will not have access to the tree of life the same way Adam chose to not do what he was commanded to do which was to eat freely from all the trees, but not to eat from the tree of good and evil. He defied God. He defied the commandment. And he broke the commandment. Well, we need to understand what is God's will for us. And so here in Matthew 7, we can see and remember that uh, we can remember that, that uh, Christ said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So notice this. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, that they may enter in through the gates of the city. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not just the Ten Commandments. We don't just sit back and say, well, I'm doing the Ten Commandments. That's all I've got to do. We must do God's will. We must understand what God's will is. And that's what we're going to be doing as we're going through this book. We're going to be highlighting the will of God. What is it that God wants us to do? And we're going to do that. And, and here, you know, if you look at uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which tries our hearts. So God searches the hearts, he searches the reins and the hearts, and he wants us to do his will. Mm -hmm. And his will is that we preach the gospel. His will is that we make known this, this good news of the coming kingdom, despite the opposition. When we look at the Apostle Paul, we see the tremendous amount of opposition that he and all the, all, all the apostles had. And, and God says, you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses, my faithful witnesses. And here he says to the Corinthians, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. The, the, you know, I, I'm preaching the gospel, but I can't be proud, for necessity is laid upon me. This is a commandment that he must preach the gospel. It's necessary to preach the gospel. Yes, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So he could sit back and say, well, you know, I'm keeping the commandments. All is good. I'm fine. I'm good. No, I'm not good. Of, of necessity is laid mm -hmm. upon me. And, and, and people, the Jews at this time, they hated the gospel. They hated it with, with a murderous passion. And Paul looked them in the eye and he preached the gospel. And so this is how we have to be. That uh, necessity is upon us to preach this good news. Continuing the, the revelation. For without our dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loves and makes a lie, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. So unfortunately, there are human beings that are just been so corrupted and are in so in league with the devil, they cannot separate themselves from these things. And so none of these people can come into the gates and come into the New Jerusalem and be married to Christ. None of them. I, Jesus, have sent my angel 
to testify unto you these things in the congregations. So every congregation must hear these things. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. So he wants us to know that he is fulfilling these prophecies about the offspring of David. And Isaiah, for example, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So the whole world, Jew and Gentile, shall come to this seed of David. Continuing in Revelation 22, verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. So outside are dogs and sorcerers and murderers and whoremongers and everybody that makes and loves a lie. But the spirit and the bride say to us, come, come inside, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. So we're here reading these prophecies so that we can respond to this call, come, come. Leave all that filth, come. Leave the filth behind. Come, purify yourself. Get ready for God. He's coming to earth. Come, come. And let him that is a thirst come. So if we're thirsty and hungry and thirsty for this righteousness, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. This is the same thing that God said to Adam. Of all these trees, you may freely eat, including the tree of life. It's all yours freely. Just do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so here we are now, just like Adam. God is saying, come, freely have this tree of life. And we have access to the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, do not eat from the tree of deception. And that's up to us now. Are we going to be like the first Adam? Or are we going to be like the second Adam? For I testify unto every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So again, there's a blessing for us to hear this prophecy, to read it and to hear it, but now there's a warning. And I, I prophesy to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. That is serious. So we have to faithfully read this book and not alter it in any way. We can't add to it, we can't subtract to it. If we add to it, God shall add unto us the plagues. So it's really important to God that this book be, tr be transmitted faithfully. If any man add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. <clears throat> this is just similar to Deuteronomy. When, when the instruction was given to Israel, you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it. So God takes his word seriously, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. So they weren't to add to it, they weren't to take away from it, so that they could follow the instructions. And that's what John is saying here at the end, that the, the reason we mustn't add or subtract from this book of Revelation, this apocalypsis, is so that we can do the instructions that are inside it. And when we do the instructions, we do the will of God, this is when we are blessed. We're not just blessed listening to it. We're blessed by doing the things that are written in it. Again, in Deuteronomy, he says, Whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it. 
you shall not add thereto nor diminish from it. Going on in Deuteronomy. And it come to pass, when he hears the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace. So he hears the words of the curse, and he just says, oh, it's okay, I don't need to follow that. I shall have peace. Though I walk in the imagination of my heart to add drunkenness to thirst, the Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. So here we are facing the exact same instruction as original Israel with the original law. And it's the very same thing here in verse 19. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So it means, uh, brethren, that we can be written in the book and we can have a part in the holy city. But if we mess around with the word of God and if we mess around with the instructions in the word of God, then, you know, it's a very simple addition and subtraction. If we add to it, God will add plagues. If we take away, God will take us, blot us out of the book of life and take us out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He says, he that testifies says, surely I come quickly. So there's not a lot of time here. And, and certainly we, none of us know when we will die. So, so we just have to work and be very serious, realizing God is coming and we're going to see him face to face. Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So time is running out. Some people are going to get caught, uh, not in the right place. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That, that peacefulness that the astronauts thought they were seeing from, from the heavens. But when you get closer to the earth, it's pure chaos. Well, that chaos ends when Jesus comes. So even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so I just want to just uh, conclude here by saying as we look at Revelation, the end of the story, we see it's a perfect bookend to Genesis. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is telling one story. And we see in Genesis how at the beginning, Satan appears. At the end, he's removed. The first Adam is established as ruler of the earth. The second Adam is established as ruler in the earth. Night, darkness, and sea are created. Night, darkness, and sea are removed. The tree of knowledge is introduced. Here, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is now removed. The river and the tree of life are in the Garden of Eden. Here, we have this river of life and this tree of life again in the Garden of Eden, where, where everything is being restored to the original intent that God had, fellowshipping with man on the earth. In, in the Genesis, Satan utters the first lie. In Revelation, all liars and everything false is removed. Here, Genesis begins with a wedding. Revelation ends with a wedding. So we see this perfect bookending of the Bible with the book of Revelation and um, Genesis. Now, as we conclude here, it's really important for us to understand just how valuable human life is to God. As when we go back, we're going to start going through the uh, the seals, and as the seals are unfolded, you know, when we when we meet next Thursday, as the seals are unfolded, 
uh, there's going to be a lot of loss of human life. Even today we're seeing human life has no value to man. But to God, human life is precious. And God intends to dwell with man on the earth forever. And so I just want to end in Romans as we, as we conclude. And look what Romans says. The Spirit itself bears witness, and these are images you're seeing here from the Hubble telescope, as it now has these, this understanding of just how big the universe is. Uh, I think that the estimate is that our galaxy is one of a, a hundred billion galaxies, and each galaxy has a hundred billion stars in it. This is a big, big universe. And so the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was not made subject to vanity. Well, so the, creature was, the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. So the whole creation... It's just waiting there. It's, just not, it's not doing anything. It's subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. He, he has an intention for it. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So those, those astronauts that are out there and they're looking at the earth and they're saying, the whole thing is so peaceful, but nothing's happening. It, it's, it's just there. It's just vain. And they don't understand. But we have God's perspective. And God's perspective is that all of this has been subject to vanity. Not willingly. And even you know the earth with all its chaos is vanity. Not willingly. But by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Behold, the Lord is coming. And his reward is with him, and his work is before him. And this whole creation is waiting for this new work. And, and, and the message to us is come, 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 come into the new Jerusalem. And from the new Jerusalem, the whole creation will be glorified. Because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, not only this whole creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So no one else understands. No one else is groaning. But we're groaning. Because we understand. <clears throat> we're groaning. Because we understand. So we, with the first fruits of the Spirit... You know, we're looking at the creation uh, and it's groaning and we're groaning because those of us who have the Holy Spirit, we, we have an understanding 
that this is all coming to an end. This is not the way it was intended to be. We, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. And this is so important, brethren. As we read the book of Revelation together, we must be filled with hope and not discouragement. We mustn't read the book of Revelation and become discouraged. We must read it and be filled with hope that all of this is coming to an end and a new creation is coming and the whole creation is going to be liberated from this vanity that's being subjected to. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. We with patience are going to wait for it. God says, Behold, I come quickly. But in another place, the servants are saying, My Lord delays his coming. So we have to put these two things together and realize that this, from God's perspective, it's all happening very, very quickly. From the human perspective, it seems like, wow, you know, how much longer? Well, it's going to get bad, then it's going to get really bad, and then it's going to get worse. And then the Lord will appear. So let's make sure we understand the prophecies, we understand the sequence of events. We are going to uh, begin next Thursday, Thursday evening. We're going to begin unfolding or reading the unfolding of these seals so that we can understand the will of God, what's going to happen. And here, we're going to end in Proverbs 11 and verse 30, where the scripture says, <clears throat> The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Christ says, By their fruits you shall know them. So we who are righteous, we who have the Holy Spirit, we who are seeking to do the will of God, our fruit is a tree of life. And so this gospel message, this good news message that we are preaching, it is a tree of life. The, the way we lead our lives, the way we live our lives, the examples that we set, it's a tree of life. And he that wins souls is wise. So despite all of the things that we're going to be reading about together, we're going to be committed to preaching the gospel. And we're going to win souls. Even at the risk of our own lives and our own injury, as, as we saw with the early apostles, they won souls. And that is our job. And he that does the will of God, we are the children of God. It's not that we say, Lord, Lord, and we don't do the will of God. The will of God is to win souls. So if we're wise, we'll win souls. So thank you so much for being with me this evening. Again, I apologize for the schedule. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be bouncing around a little bit, but then we'll get back, God willing, to our regular Wednesday night Bible study. So tonight was Sunday. Uh, next week is going to be Thursday evening at 7.30 Eastern, 6.30 Central. Uh, God bless Jesus Christ. What a God. What a God we serve. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. And let's do his will. God bless.